Open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Go into the book of Psalms. Now we're going to look at it in just a moment. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right into our study of Psalms. And uh, what a great crowd, great turnout tonight. Our young people are practicing for the Christmas play in December. It's going to be a great time and uh, looking forward to that. I think they got deaf class going on and, and uh, so a lot of things happening tonight. And we're especially glad that you're here and, uh, and thankful for that. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight in our study. I pray that you would give us the things, dear God, um, that you intend for us to have. There's no way that one man can speak to so many hearts. It's, it's, it's not in us. And so we need for you to take the word, the things we study and discuss, the things we read, and apply it to the heart as each individual needs it. And God will be so careful to give you praise and honor and glory for all of it. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Now, if you hear, if you hear Bible teachers speak, they'll tell you that the book of Psalms is a part of what is called the poetical books. And Job and, and, um, and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and um, they're, 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 what, they're what is called the poetical books. It's a compilation, Psalms is, of, of songs and poetry that were written over a period of about a thousand years. Okay? Now immediately when I say that, you know David didn't write all of them because David didn't live to be a thousand years old. Okay? So, um, you know, Methuselah might have had a shot at it, but not David. So. So we, we understand that. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. Most of the Psalms that we read, they were, they were put to music. They were set to music. And so most of the time it was with a stringed instrument. Though there are other instruments in the Bible, the word Psalm literally carries in its, in its um, definition the thought of, of a harp. And so most of these, most of these Psalms were songs. It's not inaccurate, listen carefully, it's not inaccurate to say that the Psalms was the hymn book of the, of the Jewish people, okay? It's not that they handed them out at meetings and things like that, it's that they learned them and memorized them and knew them well. And so Psalms literally, it, it's, it is true, they're, they're Psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. And, and the Psalms were what the Jewish people sang and the... the the powerful thing about that is when you look at the content and look at the, the doctrinal truth that's given in these psalms, it's very, very powerful. They weren't shallow. They weren't flighty. They weren't things that exalted man. They were, they were things that led men back to God. And, and we'll talk about that again also. David is referred to as who? The sweet psalmist of Israel. Okay, He's called that. And you've heard him call that before probably, but there are others, remember a thousand year period, there are others who contributed to the writing of the Psalms. There was Moses. We know for a fact that Moses wrote Psalm 90, and some people believe that he wrote further in, uh, 91, 2, and 3, 4, maybe 5. But, but the reality, or some right in that segment, I, I can't remember all of them exactly, but we know for a fact that Psalm 90 was written by Moses because his signature is at the beginning of it. It's attributed to him. The sons of Korah, 
wrote some of the Psalms. Asaph and Solomon wrote a couple. Uh, and then there were a few lesser known uh, writers uh, like Ethan and Heman, and, and whose tribe uh, contributed some of the Psalms. And so, and so there, there are other people there. Now, 50 of the Psalms do not mention an author by name. Okay, 50 of them. Most of those Psalms, um, uh, people believe, uh, should be attributed to David because David wrote the, 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 the larger um, number of the Psalms. And so when a Psalm doesn't have a signature on it, 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 it could be that it was just uh, an anonymous author. It, and, and that's very true. We don't have proof one way or another except for the fact that in those Psalms, uh, many of those are, are shepherding type psalms. They carry the same theme that David's, the psalms that are definitely signed by David wrote. And so I don't know why he didn't sign these psalms. We're not, we're not told any of that, but I'm just saying most of the time they're attributed to him. 73 psalms are specifically uh, attributed to David because they, they specifically bear his name. Now, the 23rd Psalm is probably, of all of the Psalms, the most famous. And the reason for that is because it has been read so many times that it's, it just, the, just the repetitive nature of it has made it the best known Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's, what, a, what, an, what, a, what an incredible Psalm. It's been read at, at, at more funerals and more memorial services than any scripture ever because it brings great comfort. It's interesting to me that the book of Psalms itself is a book where oftentimes when people are facing distress and trouble in their life, they flee to that book because of the fact that in it they find, they find um, things that they can identify with. They, they, they find a man that's hurting. They find a man that's disillusioned. They find somebody that's confused. They find somebody that's wondering why. They're finding somebody that questions God. And, 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 and though they would not ever blurt it out, they have questions in their heart that they'd like to ask God. And so, you know, when you run to the book of Psalms, you, 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 you find that there. Um, now, let me give you this, okay? There are 150 Psalms, and they're divided into five books. Now, this is a little technical stuff, but just stay with me because I, I think it'll, it'll be of interest to you, and then we'll get into some applicational things. There are 150 Psalms. They're divided into five books, and I'm going to show you how to define uh, a little bit these divisions. So Psalm 1 through 41, all right? First, this is book number one in the Psalms, okay? It's like it's got segments in the book. Book number one is Psalm 1 to 141, and it teaches us, if I could just summarize it, okay, if I could summarize it, and there are a lot of different themes in there, but if I could summarize it, it would be God is beside us, okay, so, so God, we, we find, we find that, 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 that God is, is beside us, everywhere we go, everything we turn. Now, go to Psalm 41, and go to the last verse of Psalm 41, all right? Because at the end of each of these books, there's a doxology or a closing, there's a closing statement, all right? So there's a lot of things you'll read in book number one that talks about the struggle of man and the disillusionment of man. But at the end of it all, at the end of Psalm book number one, here's how it ends. Verse 13, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting, amen. And amen. So that's, 
that's a, that's, a, that's a closing, concluding statement to book number one. Okay, Book number two, or section number two, however you want to call it, is Psalm 42 through verse 72. That teaches us not just that God is beside us, but that God goes before us. Now, I want to just stop and say hallelujah to that. I am so glad that there have been times... I've arrived at places, and you know what I found out? Boom, God, God, God was there before me. God set it up before me, okay? And I, I can, all I can do is, I can't talk about your situations. So I'm not trying to be overly personal and use the same illustrations, but I, I know this. I was supposed to preach at Southwest in Oklahoma one year. It was put off till the next year, and when the next year came is when I had my cancer, and I was in Oklahoma when I broke down in the number one hospital in America for dealing with what I was dealing the problem I had, I was there. And the best doctor at the hospital was there. And they found my problem there. And so I'm just saying, what happened? God went before me. I thought, the, I thought when the pastor canceled the meeting, I thought, well, I don't know, you know, just something came up. No, there was nothing like that. It was God working out before me the path that led me exactly where I needed to be under the care of exactly the doctor. So, so Psalm 42 through 72, God goes before us. Now, go to, go to uh, Psalm 72. Look at the last verse there. Verse number 19. And blessed be His glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. So there again, you have a closing conclusion statement. With everything that goes on in between those chapters, it closes out by saying, hey, praise Him. All right? Uh, book number 3, Psalm 73 uh, through 89, teaches us that God is all around us. God is all around us. Notice um, uh, uh, chapter 89, verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. So there again, we have that. Now, so the, the, the fourth section is Psalm 90 through 106, and that teaches us that God is above us, okay? Those are the, just, those, that's just, that is just a scanning theme. God is above us. And the second to the last verse in chapter 106 is verse 48, and it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise you the Lord. Now, in the last section, Psalm 107 to 150, we're taught that God is among us. And they're given five chapters to that conclusion. Because this is the conclusion not only, not only of that last section, but it's the conclusion of the whole book. So I want you to jump with me to, to uh, Psalm... Uh, uh, and let's go back. Let's just go back a handful. Let's go to... Um, Chapter 46. Everybody turn there. Psalm, the, the, the 146th Psalm, okay? 146. I'm sorry, I couldn't get my tongue out of the way there, so it sort of hung up on me. When you hear this behind me, think of sheep. Okay, anyhow, here we are. Psalm, Psalm 146. Now watch this, because this, these, are, these, are, these are the closing chapters of this book. There's a lot, look, look at me. There's a lot of bleeding going on in Psalms. A lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of disillusionment. But what do you conclude 
after all of that. Uh, chapter 46, praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I, uh, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Now, go to, go to 147. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. 148. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, uh, all ye His angels. Praise Him, all ye His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heaven of heavens, ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. Verse uh, uh, Chapter 149, Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and sing His praise in the congregation of the saints. 150, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament. <laughs> Look at verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Verse 3, praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed intimates. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high sounding cymbal. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Now, what do you get out of that? Now, we're supposed to praise God. Okay? So with everything going on in, in Psalms, Sometimes you read the Psalms, you feel like you're in the middle of a country music uh, concert. David's just, he is just, and, and the other writers are just vomiting up their feelings and their emotions. And yet when it's all concluded, five closing chapters of Psalms said, Okay, now, you've seen us as we really are. Here's how we're going to close out. Praise Him. Just praise Him. Just praise Him. No matter what goes on, praise Him. No matter what happens, you praise Him. And so that's the conclusion to the book of Psalms. Now, let me make some practical applications that, that are easy for us to glean from the book of Psalms. First of all, first of all, it's okay, it is okay to be real and transparent. It's okay to be real and transparent. Transparent. I think one of the unhealthy things about church life so oftentimes is that we feel pressured sometimes to live up to the expectations of others. When really what we ought to be concerned about is living up to what God expects us, not what other people expect of us. And so if I live up to the expectations of other people and that's not really who I am, then I have to put on what? I have to put on an image. I have, to, I have to hide behind a facade that people think is me, but it's not really me at all. And so that creates within me a toxic, it's a, it's a toxic environment within myself that I'm, I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not, and I'm trying to please somebody when I don't really even understand where they're coming from. And we don't allow people to grow uh, at their pace, and we don't grant liberty to people. Now, I'm not talking about just being spiritually slouchy and just saying, I'm going to do what I want to do because that's who I am. No, that's, 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 that's carnal and fleshly and sinful. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that genuinely have a heart for God uh, and, and yet are not allowed to develop a relationship with God. It's almost as if we have to live um, under the umbrella of somebody else's relationship with God. One of the things that I am commanded as a pastor is not to lord over God's flock. What does that mean? I'm to preach the word, 
but I don't have to go around, and I'm grateful for this, it takes the burden off of me. I don't have to go around and twist people's arms behind their back and make sure that they're living exactly the way they're supposed to. You know whose job that is? That's the Holy Spirit's job. You, you know, I'm going to answer for how I preach, and, 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 and I understand there's some accountability within a, a church body. I, I do understand that. And, 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 and sometimes that, that, that comes to a butting of heads. I know that. I've been there. I've had wolves before that had to be dealt with. And so I know all of those things. But I'm just simply saying, I'm talking about people that genuinely have a heart for God. And, and, and yet they're living more to please other people around them than they are the Lord. And I want to just tell you something. Listen to me. That will not sustain you. It will not last. You, we have to get to a place to where we are sincerely living for the Lord and are more concerned about His pleasure in our life than, than, uh, than, than others. Um, I, I think that sometimes, because there is a critical spirit um, within a church, some people may actually feel more comfortable and more safe living um, behind a facade and, and an image, and they don't want to risk being transparent um, with their doubt or their emotions. Well, how can you ever get help? How can you ever get help? If somebody's suffering through depression, uh, in most churches, if you m mention any type of problem like that, then you're looked at as, as unspiritual. You can have heart surgery. You, you can have heart surgery, or you can break your leg, or you can have cancer treatment. You can have any of those things, and everybody will pray for you. But get up in a good, good old-fashioned Baptist meeting and say, folks, I'm, I'm struggling with depression. And man, people will look at you like, well, what's your problem? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray every day? Well, yeah, I do. But, but sometimes there are deeper issues that we have to, we have to deal with. And so, if, look, if David had been reticent, you with me, to express his emotions... It would gut the book of Psalms. Why don't you think about that? Let's take out all of David's deep feelings. The book of Psalms is gutted. There's nothing, it's skeleton. Because this book over and over and over and over and over again, David is just pouring forth all kind of stuff. And, and if David felt reticent to do that, wait a minute, who, who, this book is given under the inspiration of God. How did David write this? The Holy Spirit of God moved him, did he not? Yeah, to write it. And it's for our admonition. So evidently, evidently these type of emotions that aren't good with men and aren't accepted by men, God doesn't have a problem with them. He had David write it all out. Do you know why? Because God knows about it anyhow. God's aware of it anyhow. All right. Now, let me, let me, let me just say this. God can handle your emotions. Our rawness doesn't really shock God. God doesn't say, my word, I had no idea they felt that way. That's shocking. Did you hear what they said? No, no. Look, God knows it the moment you think it. Okay? He, he knows it. So there's no sense in playing games with God. Let's, let's don't play church with God. Let's be honest with God. And it's healthy if you can find somebody that you can be honest with and say, look, I'm struggling. Look, you'll never get over your struggles if you're not honest about your struggles. Okay, so we, we, have to, 
we, we have to be able to do that. Now, let me show you some verses. All right, you ready for this? Let, let, me, t let me show you exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Psalm, let's just go to Psalm 10. Everybody jump to Psalm 10, and, and, um, and we will uh, move forward there. All right, Psalm 10. Listen to David, verse 1. Boom, right off the bat. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord, and why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? So let's have a prayer meeting, and I call on somebody to pray. Would, would you lead us in prayer? And they stand up and say, Heavenly Father, I am in a mess, and I can't find you. Would you explain to me where you are? And could you tell me, why are you hiding from me? By the time they got through praying, everybody would have left the room for fear that lightning would strike. That's under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Go to Psalm 44. <laughs> Look at this one. Psalm 44. Psalm 44, verse 23. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Well, doesn't the Bible say that the Lord neither slumbers or sleeps? Yes, it says that. But what's David saying here? He said, are you asleep? Do, do you know what's going on down here? You, you know what's happening to me down here? God, wake up. Let me help you with this. This, this, this is going to be eye-opening for you, okay? You might want to write this down. The word awake means wake up. Is that amazing? David is saying, hey, God, wake up. Do you know what's going on down here? Why, why, why are you asleep, Lord? That's pretty powerful. Psalm 69, verse 2. David's just, he's pouring his heart out. He, Psalm 69, verse 2, he says, I sink in deep mire where, no, where there is no standing. I'm coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. Well, David just said, I'm drowning. Psalm 74, verse 1. O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? You're our shepherd, we're your sheep. And your anger is smoking mad at us. Okay? Chapter, Psalm, Psalm 88, verse 14. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Here he says it again. Why hidest thou thy face from me? So David just being real transparent with God. Psalm 89, verse 49, Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses which thou swearest unto David in thy truth? Hey, wait a minute, God, wait, wait. Remember what you used to do? You remember how you used to treat me? Why don't you treat me that way anymore? And by the way, that's what you promised me. That's exactly what he's saying. Which thou swearest unto David in thy truth. Wait a minute, God, wait. This is how it used to be, and it seems like things have changed. And you, you swore to me that this is the way it was going to be. So, 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 so why the change? Why is it that, that the things that you told me you would do, it doesn't seem like you're doing them? Boy, look at me. You know how big God is. God is big enough to take care of our stupidity, our questions, our doubts. And, and God, listen, listen, God's not petty, you know. 
If, if, if I say to somebody, well, you know what, I, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really think that you're attentive. And right now, I'm just not sure that I can really bank on your word. Because it seems to me like you've changed the way that you told me you were going to be. It's just not really that way right now working out for me. You know what's going to happen? Somebody will get the feelings hurt. But you know what? God doesn't get his feelings hurt. So, so David is being transparent with God. And by the way, listen to me. Look at me. This is important. Drama for the sake of drama's sake, okay? Drama just for drama's sake, that's sinful. Because all that does is draw attention to self. So for somebody to say, I'll tell you what, I don't know what's going on. Where's God? I... No, all, all the stupidity stuff that we're just trying to get people to sympathize and feel sorry for us. And man, my life is really bad. No, no, no. Look, this is the sincere honest prayer of a man who desires God and he can't, he can't fit all the pieces of the puzzle together right now. He's got honest questions and he's asking honest questions. This isn't a guy that's walking on center stage and, and everybody, you know, is staring at him, you know, and he realizes he's got the attention of the crowd and so he's going to play out all of his problems so that everybody feels sorry for him. That's not, that's not what's going on here. You know what David's doing? He's giving us, and these other writers, they're giving us a window into their soul. Boy, that helps, doesn't it? Because it lets me know that David struggled with some of the same struggles I struggled with. Wait a minute. Somebody may say, you know what? I, I didn't know anybody else had those questions, but I got them. And all of a sudden you go to the book of Psalms and you run slap dab into David asking the same questions. And so... So it's, it, we, we realize that he has a struggle with his circumstances. And, and, and yet every time, listen, every time David does this, watch it. You can start out in the middle of a psalm or in the start of a psalm and David is just struggle, 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 struggle. You know what you watch as you read the psalm? You watch a transition where he comes back around to praising God. And so that helps us know if we'll just hang in there. Um, uh, God will bring us back around. David was down, but David, David, did not, David did not stay down. Now, let me say this, and this is important. Um, let me say this to you. You're not alone in your emotions, okay? And I, I think that's important. So lesson number two to me is this. You're not, you're not alone in your emotions, all right? And again, I, I just went through some of that. But I, I, I think that I think that one of the worst outlooks for us to have in our time of distress is that we're all alone. That's what a church family is about. It's about supporting each other and being there for each other. And our, our situation may be unique to us, but our footprints aren't the only footprints on the path that we're walking. Other people have walked there before. Other people have faced what we're facing before. But if Satan, listen, if Satan can convince us of our aloneness, then we feel abandoned, stranded, and helpless. We're lost in the middle of the swamp, and nobody's there to talk to or give us comfort, and we're not sure by ourselves we can find our way out. And so it's, a, it's an uneasy feeling. Psalms teaches us otherwise. We, when we read, start in the, look, Read the book of Psalms, and you will, by the time you get to Psalm 150, you will have run the gauntlet of emotions. You'll, you'll, you'll plumb the depths of, 
of human uh, despair and, and you'll, you'll run into rage and, and doubt and sorrow. You'll, you'll, you'll find psalms of exaltation and joy and faith and hope. It's all there. I mean, it's the gauntlet. It's all there. It's, it's, you almost feel like there's a bipolar nature in this book because it's up and down and up and down and things are on top and things are on bottom and it, it happens. Let me give you an example. Psalm 55. Psalm 55 verse 6 and 7 says, and David is speaking, he said, And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. <laughs> Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to escape? You ever want to just get away? Like I am, I have had it up to here. If I don't get away, if I don't get a break, if I can't, if I can't get alone, if I can't step out of this storm for a little while, I'm going to lose my mind. Well, hey, guess what? Boom, there he is. There's David. You ever, have you ever felt like God forgot you? Well, Psalm 42, verse 9, I will say unto God, my rock, Why hast thou forgotten me? And why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Hey, God. Hey, it's, it's, it's Dean. It's Dean. Remember me? Why have you forgotten me? Now, God hadn't forgotten David, but David felt like God had forgotten him. And so he just, he just hurls it right out. And the Holy Spirit records it because he wants us to know that we're not alone in our emotions. Okay? And the rigidity and the plastic facade that we are required to wear in order to be considered spiritual among the brethren is a clown act. And when somebody dies in your family, it's okay to weep. And when you got heartaches in your life, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to hurt. Sometimes it's okay to sit down and say, I have no idea why God allowed this to happen. I don't know. There, there are things in my life, right? Look, there are things in my life right now, right this moment, that I have no idea why God did what He did. I, I didn't want it. I wouldn't have done it. I wish He hadn't done it, but He did. And so, I don't know. So, so the reality of the matter is, is it, the, the rawness of this is, is, is good. And I, I think it's important for us to consider that we're not alone in our struggles and in our pain, and our footprints aren't the only ones on the path that we're walking, and it's okay. It's just absolutely okay. Now, let me give you this, number, number three, okay? Each of us must choose his own path, okay? I'm going to deal with this at the youth conference later. But each of us must choose his own path. I want you to look with me in Numbers chapter 16, okay? Everybody go to Numbers chapter number 16. Numbers chapter number 16. Now I want you to watch this scene unfold. Moses is the leader of the nation of Israel. Korah, Korah is a 
member of the tribe of Levi, Levi, and Korah had the privilege of helping to care for the tabernacle, the, which, was the, which was the dwelling place of God. But that wasn't good enough for Korah. Korah felt like that he should be top dog and that actually he should, his opinion should supersede Moses, who was being led by God. And so Korah decided he was going to lead a revolt against God's man that God had put in place. Look with me in chapter 1. Now Korah the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. We ought to circle that two words, took men. They took men. It wasn't enough for them. They said, no, I, I'm not doing this alone. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get me some disciples. So they, they took men. And they rose up before Moses and certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. So, so these, these guys are, they're leaders, they're respected. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. So Moses goes to God and takes to God the things that are happening. And God just basically says to Moses, okay, here's what I want you to do tomorrow. I want you to get them together and, and you and Aaron together. And tomorrow I will show the congregation exactly who I have called to this position. And, and we will deal with this openly because all the people are involved in this now. So let's set this up in front of everybody. And I will let everybody know tomorrow what my choice is. Okay, So on the morrow... Boom, there's Korah and his cohorts that have gathered there and, and made their stand. Verse 32, And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the con congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Man, that's powerful. You talk about a startling scene. I mean, how'd you like to be there? And it's like, all right, let's, let's see what God has to say. And all of a sudden, the earth just yawns and people start falling down into the pit. Okay? And then he closes his mouth and they're gone. You don't hear, and they're screaming on the way down, but when the earth locks its jaw, you don't hear a peep from them. And there's just a moment of baited silence. And then all of a sudden, everybody starts screaming because they're thinking, it's going to swallow us. So they're running for their life. They're running for their life. God then says, no, no, no. You 250 that stood with him, you leaders that knew better, you're not getting away with it. Fire came out from God and devoured all of them. Now, the book of Numbers, go to Numbers 26. Back uh, down a few more chapters because it, it gives another reiteration. Now, stay with me on this. That's not what I really want to deal with, okay? Numbers 26, verse 10. It's reiterating the story of what happened. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah 
And when that company died, what time the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. You know what you could write there? They became a sermon illustration. You know, you, you know what you could say there? Hey, they became a warning. They became a testimony. Somebody build a monument here of a large mouth opening up and people falling into it. I mean, I, I mean, they became a sign. What was the sign? Don't do this. Now watch this. Don't leave, don't leave the verse. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. That is fascinating to me. Fascinating. I don't know how old these boys were. Neither do you. I don't know. Were they so young, were they so young that they weren't held accountable? Or were they so wise that they chose not to follow their father? The sons, the children of Korah died not. Now, I want you to do this. I want you to go into 1 Chronicles chapter 9. Okay? 1 Chronicles chapter 9. Don't get tired of using your Bible. 1 Chronicles chapter 9. So we're moving forward now. Okay? We're, 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 we're going forward. All right? Now watch this. 900 years later... Okay, write that down. 900 years later. 1 Chronicles 9, verse 19. And Shalom, the son of Kor, the son of Eliasaph, the son of Korah, and his brethren of the house of his father, the Korahites, were over the work of the service, keepers of the gates of the tabernacle, and their fathers, being the host of the Lord, were keepers of the entry. So what happened to these kids? I'll tell you exactly what happened to them. The family of Korah, 900 years after their dad was swallowed alive because of his rebellion against God, the, the children of Korah died not. And 900 years later, rather than having the same wretched attitude that their dad had, living the same life of rebellion and, and, and haughty arrogance, rather than doing that, here, here is the family the sons of Korah that have handed down generation to generation and they, they are literally entrusted with the key to the temple and were responsible for guarding who came in and who went out. That's a, that's a, that's a powerful, powerful story to me. Now, let me read for you a psalm. You ready? Everybody with me? Psalm 84, verse 1. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out to the living God. Here's verse 10. Remember this? You've heard this verse. You've heard this verse. Psalm 84, verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wilderness. How many of you have heard that before? Okay. And when you've heard that before, you know how it's been preached to you? This is how it's been preached. David said, bless God, that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wilderness. Thank God for David. David didn't write that. The sons of Korah wrote that. 
It's signed at the beginning of that psalm. It's a psalm written by the sons of Korah. And after all these years, the children of a man who was a failure, the children of a man who rebelled against God, the children of a man that took such an arrogant position that God had to take his life from him. He committed the sin unto death. Those children are writing, I'd rather watch the door, which is exactly what they did in the house of my God. Who's God? He's my God. Yeah, but he killed your daddy. Yeah, but he's my God. We survived. I'm not walking the path that my dad led than to dwell in the tents of wilderness. Eleven psalms were written by the sons of Korah. Psalm 42, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 84, 85, 87, and 88. And every one of them expressed such a deep devotion. The words that they use. I, I, I read it and I weep because here... Here is the results of some kids that decided I'm not going to walk a path that I don't want to walk. And I'm grateful for that. You don't have to follow your dad into alcoholism. You don't have to, you don't have to make the wrong choices that ruined your mama's life or your brother's life. You don't have to be like your wayward sister. You don't have to. Look at me. You just don't have to. We all have the freedom to make our own decision, to chart our own course, and to choose our own path. And I'm grateful for that. Now, last of all, here's the last application that I want to make tonight. And that is simply this. His mercy endureth forever. Okay? His mercy, God's mercy endures forever. Now, the word mercy is used exactly 100 times in the book of Psalms. So you get the idea that those that wrote the Psalms are trying to impress upon us the fact that God is a merciful God. In fact, in Psalm 136, you've read it, all 26 verses end with, with the statement, His mercy endureth forever. Remember that? You've read that. You're like, why do they keep saying that? Because that's the theme. I mean, it makes a general statement, and then it says, well, and His mercy endures forever. So, 26 times in that chapter, that's, that's given. With all of man's failures and distress and misgivings and questions and complaints. Listen to me. God remains the merciful shepherd. He remains it. Psalm 51. Would you turn there? Psalm 51. If you'll read the heading over this psalm, this is what it says. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So here's a man that has disobeyed God. He has, he has committed a sin that will scandalize his administration. It'll cost him. There'll be ripple effects. But here's the, here's the wondrous of it all, is that things that people would bury us over, God doesn't. 
Here's a guy that's broken the heart of God. A man that was after God's own heart. You think that God would turn away from him and just say, you know what, listen, I gave you your shot. I gave you your shot. I set you up. You, you would be the greatest king that Israel ever had. I had everything laid out for you. And you, 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 turned, you turned away from the truth, the things that you knew to be true. I, I, I don't want to hear from you. A lot of earthly fathers would do that. A lot of friends would do that. A lot of pastors would do that. A lot of neighbors would do that. But not God. Let's look, at, look at the psalm. Would you, let's just, I mean, we're talking about His mercy endureth forever. Look at verse 1. Have mercy, have what? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before thee. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now we understand that in that day the Spirit of God that indwell people, He came upon them for certain tasks. And so David's concern about that. Verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. And then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. I want to tell you, there are some things in life that man may not ever let you live down. But I want to tell you that God never holds our past against us. If He did, listen carefully, if He did, none of us would be here. So, so we, we got, we've got different lists. No. Why did Jesus die on the cross? It, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't for the drug addict or the, the, the pornographer. No, he, he died for the sins of every person, church people. You know, Eagle Scouts. He died, for, he died for everybody's sin. He died for all of our sin. And so if our sins and iniquities were counted by God, none of us would measure up. So when I read Psalms, and I know the man, one of the men that wrote it. And then I know the boys, you know. Where, what's your family tree have? Oh, um, Cora. 
Well, who wants to be associated with that group? God does. God does. Rahab the harlot. Okay. Ruth the Moabitess. Tamar. They sat on the street corner until Judah came by and sold herself to him because he had broken his promise. They're all, they're all in Matthew. They're all, they're all in the lineage. It's, it's amazing. The mercy of our God, it ought, to, it ought to cause us pause. We ought to think and thank and praise Him for all of that. Well, there are Psalms for you. It's, it's, hard. <laughs> it's hard to get a book of 150 chapters in one night, but we just, we're doing overviews, so we're trying our best to just draw some things out that maybe will be a blessing for us. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Um, Sunday we're talking about long-suffering, okay? That's the fruit of the Spirit we'll be on is long-suffering. So I hope you'll be a part of our service and um, looking forward to having a great day in the Lord. And uh, let's just, let's pray, by the way, in advance for a youth conference that the Lord had blessed that. Very first one, initial. This is the beginning. And so we're hoping that God's going to use it to do great things. So let's pray. Let's pray in regard to that, okay? Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the fact, dear God, that you are greater than all our sins. What a God. What a Father. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.